Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Folks, welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. Or should I just say... Welcome to Jurassic Park. That's all we can do. The legal, a.k.a. my general sense of the doctrine of fair use, won't let us do too much more of the majestic theme music for Steven Spielberg's early 90s sci-fi masterpiece, Jurassic Park. You know what it is, folks. We got dinosaurs in modern day separating or collapsing, excuse me, the 65 million years of evolution and change on the planet that separate dinosaurs and humanity, or at least the ones that went extinct. You know, uh, this movie, it makes a big deal about uh, dinosaurs becoming birds and evolution happening and life finding a way. Obviously, this is an early 90s movie. Like I said, it's pretty old. So please do go out and see it. It's a great movie, and it's, it's not because of the plot twists. It's because it's just an excellent movie. Uh, just every step of the way, knowing exactly what's going to happen, it's still just such a fun ride. I loved rewatching it. I'm old enough to be able to say I remember when it came out, and I did see it in the theater, but I actually first saw it at uh, day camp uh, at a local community college in Mercer County, New Jersey. Uh, My parents both worked. And so there was like a day camp at the community college where it was like fake college for kids. Uh, (laughs) Which sounds, I mean, how did that happen? I think it was because like the government ran it. So it was, uh, you know, tax subsidized. Because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough sell for kids to be like, you're going to go to more school. But it actually was pretty fun. The college was a way of structuring it. You know, we had, there was a pool, so we did a lot of swimming. But you would take classes. This actually may be the success movie Rewind Origin story. I didn't plan on this. But, uh, you know, in this movie, speaking of early 90s icons, you've got Wayne Knight, Uh, The actor, I'm sure he's been in plenty of things, but he will always be Newman from Seinfeld to me. And of course, he plays the treacherous scientist that upsets a lot of things by selling out uh, Dr. Hammond, uh, the founder of Jurassic Park's formula, to a higher bidder because he's disgruntled. He thinks he's not being paid his worth. But uh, he's such an early 90s nerd, like just the worst image of a hacker. And it's funny, the, the... you know, the young girl and her little brother who appear in this movie, of course, often Steven Spielberg has uh, siblings, young kids uh, along for the ride. 
uh, literally in this case, often. And she and her brother, of course, uh, go back and forth about whether she's a nerd or a computer hacker. But there's no doubt, there's really no doubt at all in the control room of Jurassic Park because you have like the coolest guy of all time, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, and then you've got Wayne Knight. And that's what I'm trying to say. He's, he's Newman. He's a nerd. He's such an early 90s nerd. And there's such a perfect... Uh, period detail. If it had been made now, you know, you'd be like, they got it right. Uh, because they had, a lot of people would think, oh, you have Surge Cola for the, for the nerd at the computer, but it's the early nineties. So they had Jolt Cola, which had a lot of caffeine. And that just takes me right back to when I first saw Jurassic Park at Mercer County Community College, you know, day camp college experience for eight-year-olds. Please do not get it twisted. This was not some sort of gifted program. This was like, uh, you know, anyone could go there. Uh, it was mostly a place to park your kids while you went to work. But the, I signed up for like a watch movies class and the, <laughs> I, hate, I hesitate to call him a professor, but the guy who was in charge of playing the movies in the class somehow got a bootleg of Jurassic Park and we watched it there. And uh, he actually was kind of a jerk, you know. He, he made all the kids like basically sign NDAs uh, almost that they would never, you know, he was very worried about like the FBI kicking down the door basically. And I remember like making a joke like you know, let me borrow the, the tape or something like that. And he was just like, he, he like threatened to not show the movie. Uh, so I don't remember his name, but my whole point is that dude pounded Jolt Cola, just like his uh, silver screen counterpart, Wayne Knight. And he very much resembled Wayne Knight or Newman or Wayne Knight in Jurassic Park. And I, I can't remember his name. He's Newman. Uh, his name may actually be in one of the clips we're going to listen to, but he'll always be Newman to me. Uh, but my point is, I mean, the movie just takes you right back. I remember sitting in that classroom just watching like this grainy, terrible footage of these diplosauruses trotting along the field in Jurassic Park and seriously being like, whoa, this is next level. And then like the next week seeing it with my family, my little brother, he had to cover his eyes. The raptors were too scary. I mean, it was intense and it holds up. I, there's some, you know, I love baby dinosaurs again as an early 90s kid. Literally the most popular show was animated dinosaurs that like talked like people. It was just called dinosaurs. There is an iconic, obviously baby dinosaur that said very cute phrases uh, and whacked his dad on the head. That was his cute phrase, not the mama. Uh, so anyway, I, I don't mean to, to it was it was very much the state of the art at the time, but I'm saying the baby dinosaur does remind you of the early 90s baby dinosaurs. But the other dinosaurs are like, you could watch that now. Like uh, you could watch that in the theater and not be like, that looked old. Uh, the T-Rex, the Brachiosauruses, the Raptors. It's so good. So, I mean, it's, I've waxed ecstatic long enough. We got to get to the points. Um, but the movie is just so good. It's actually difficult to come up with our, our points to talk about because the movie has quotes that just would be takeaways, like life finds a way. That's the big one. So, you know, I'm not really interested in dissecting the plot plot of Jurassic Park or the big message of life finding a way, of course. 
the park tries to control the dinosaurs uh, by making sure they're all female, making sure that there's no male DNA expression, but they have to plug the ancient dinosaur DNA with modern frog DNA. Of course, the frogs are uh, the kind of frogs that in female-only environments will somehow alter their gene expression to become male so that they can breed, leading Jeff Goldblum to say, of course, life will find a way. So that's the basic message. Now you can talk at cocktail parties about Jurassic Park if you were worried about that. But let's talk about some other stuff. Let's, uh, let's think about what Jurassic Park actually has to say. Let's start listening to our clips. And, you know, again, I'm not going to say look for the dinosaurs and the birds and the birds and the dinosaurs or something like that. I did, you know, I reserve the right to say stuff like that. You know this by now. Uh, I wrote down something like that, but that's the other like big message. I think I alluded to this, the, the dinosaurs becoming birds and things like that. Um, and so again, I, I don't want to give these messages short shrift. I feel like this is like a refresher or a why Jurassic Park is great podcast as much as it is uh, a personal development one, but it's got such good personal development points as well. So let's get to them. And for the rest of this podcast, and I didn't think I was going to do this. I really didn't. I didn't plan it this way. But in retrospect, it's one of those things. It just seems obvious. Of course, this was going to happen. And by, by that, I mean this, we're going to get pretty heavy on the Jeff Goldblum because I didn't mention him yet, may, maybe purposefully, maybe not, but he's the chaos scientist. So basically the insurance company needs expert opinions. They, the, the finance people want the trendy Jeff Goldblum play, played, or played by Jeff Goldblum scientist Ian Malcolm, uh, but he's too trendy uh, to be reliable. And so you've also got Laura Dern and Sam Elliott as, you know, the boyfriend and girlfriend scientist who come and, of course, learn some lessons about themselves and their relationships. And they've got good lines along the way. We're going to hear from Laura Dern, of course. Of course, Laura Dern is just, this podcast is a very pro-Laura Dern podcast. But you really, you got to give it up to Goldblum. He gets everything. And they even let him Goldblum out. Like he does these, I don't know if they're creepy. It's just, he does this Jeff Goldblum laugh. So in this next clip, I had to leave the laugh. I had to laugh, uh, you know, or I had to let Goldblum do it. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to get used to Not that a compilation. That's just... He suffers from a deplorable excess of personality, especially for a mathematician. Chaotician. Chaotician, actually. John doesn't subscribe to chaos, particularly when it has to say about his little science project. Oh, swallow, Ian. You've never been able to sufficiently explain your concern. Oh, John, don't, don't, don't. Because of the behavior of the system in phase space? A load, if I may say so, of fashionable number crunching. That's right. Well, I do wish you, know, you wouldn't do Dr. that. Dr. Sadler, Dr. Grant, you've heard, of, you've heard of chaos theory? No. All right, so no, nonlinear equations. point about chaos theory. Strange attractors. Dr. Sadler, I, I refuse to believe that you aren't familiar with the concept of attraction. Go. Come on, man. Uh, all right, so I misspoke. 
You may have been annoyed with me. I apologize, but that's just my chaotic nature. I thought I actually spoke over Goldblum telling the nature of chaos theory with my urge to point out that it was chaos theory. But that was actually just the conclusion of, or actually the beginning of his pickup artist routine, Goldblum pioneering as always. But he does get to elucidate the chaos theory a little more. And that really brings us to our next clip. And that's why I keep alluding to birds becoming dinosaurs, because this podcast, of course, is a dinosaur becoming a bird always. And you may wonder week to week, is he ever going to get a name for these these three points that are the, the takeaways or whatever? I always struggle to call them something. Thing. But I feel like this week the dinosaur is finally flying because I'm calling them success movie messages. I think that's a good that's a good thing to call them. So let's get to our first success movie message. We've already proved it this week, and that's this. You should always count on chaos, folks. And I've got a book recommendation this week for that. And it's by a guy named Nicholas Nassim Taleb, I think, or maybe Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, but it's called anti-fragility. And basically the concept here is you don't, obviously you don't want to be fragile. You don't want to be brittle. You don't want to break at the first sign of resistance or the first time you encounter force. Uh, so you want to be strong, but in a modern chaotic era where you can't plan for every contingency and you can't plan for the raptors to turn male so that they can breed, Taleb's point is basically, you don't want to just not be fragile. You want to be anti-fragile. You want to plan to encounter resistance and force. And ideally, you become like a super crystalline structure that encounters the force, takes it on, and uses it to become stronger. Uh, the way I'm trying to take life's little interruptions and, and use them as illustrations of the points I'm trying to make on this podcast. And so Goldblum really makes that point so well, as he often does. That's why he's in the movie. So let's hear a little more. That's why I was saying I, I thought chaos made me speak over Goldblum's uh, articulation of chaos theory, but it didn't. So let's go ahead and hear it. See, the Tyrannosaur uh, doesn't have any set patterns or, or, or park schedules. It's the essence uh, of chaos. I'm, I'm still not clear on chaos. Oh, oh, it, 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 it uh, simply uh, deals with predictability in complex systems. The shorthand is the, the butterfly effect. A butterfly can flap its wings in Peking, and in Central Park you get rain instead of sunshine. Why? <laughs> <laughs> did I go too fast? I, I go too fast. I did a flyby. No. <laughs> okay, so if, if you're interested in where that was going, that's when Goldblum continues the pickup routine and he actually pours water on Dern's hand. If a strange, fast-talking man grabs your hand, ladies, and starts, you know, pretending to read your palm or telling you something about your arms or hands or something, I hope we know. I mean, I was living in Austin, Texas when that show, The Pickup Artist, uh, filmed and aired in Austin, Texas. So I've seen it. I mean, everybody was out trying to do these moves. Goldblum, of course, ahead of the time. But his point is you can't predict which way the water will fall, you know. Uh, and then she's like to Sam Elliott, like, are you seeing this? Kind of like, you know, he's not seeing a lot of things, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting message. But the larger point about chaos is just such a good one. And with respect to anti-fragility, anti-fragility, it really does illustrate why it's so important. You've got to bring chaos uh, into your plans and make it uh, something that you count on and ideally that you learn from and that you strengthen from. 
because that way you're able to serve your larger purpose rather than just trying to make sure that the business model you started or the model of reality uh, or the plans, the exact minute plans and details that you had when you started remain the same as you continue. Uh, because as uh, stated in our second success movie rewind message, or our success movie message, total control is a bad goal, folks. Total control is a bad goal. That's our rhyming. There's only one rhyming takeaway this week. And that's it. So we're going to talk about that a little more. We're going to listen to another clip. Uh, but before we do, let's just take a second and listen to or take a brief pause. And we'll be right back to talk about why total control is a bad goal, to hear a little more about Jurassic Park and to bring it home with our third success movie message. All right, folks, we are back Talking about Jurassic Park and control, total control, not a good goal. In fact, it's a bad one. Although maybe that would be more catchy. Total control is not a good goal. It kind of rolls off the tongue a little better. Either way, that's the point, folks. And for this next point, as promised, I wanted to hear from Laura Dern because the movie does do a good job, as I alluded to earlier, or as I said, I gotta stop saying alluded all the time. I've noticed that this episode. If you were thinking about commenting that, go ahead, get it out of your system. Let us know anything else you think, by the way. But uh, anyway, this movie does such a good job of uh, juxtaposing various symbols with the larger themes it's making. And it does that with the classic male and female archetypes of Laura Dern and Sam Elliott. And with, you know, like all great chaos figures, the uh, ambiguously gendered Jeff Goldblum, who both is a serial, I don't know if he's a philanderer, but, you know, married a bunch of times. But he also goes after the founder of Jurassic Park, Dr. Hammond, uh, for exercising too much scientific power, uh, which he very explicitly, to bring the thematic point home, describes as a violent, penetrative act that scars everything it touches. Uh, and the movie, to bring home its life-finding-away metaphor uses Laura Dern as the mouthpiece for what I think in the movie's sort of grammar is the, the Mother Earth voice, uh, that, that the long-suffering planet that witnesses uh, all of these shifts uh, as power exercises itself as various men in this movie, and frankly, you know, throughout history, let's own that, uh, have done the same thing. And so Dern really uh, has a nice little duet with Jeff Goldblum to bring this home. And so I just thought it would be good before we hear from the more on the nose quote to, this is just poetry. It's just a great script. And uh, it really, it's a neat little riff that the two, two of the greats of our time go off on. So let's hear it, folks. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Get him Woman done. inherits the earth. <laughs> oh my gosh, did I just talk over a powerful woman? Let's let's hear from, from Dern again. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. 
And so it really, in, in the language of this movie, I think it is important to, to heed the lesson, you know, when the Tyrannosaurus is looking at you, when the chaos, uh, you know, the eye of the dinosaur, the chaotic hermaphroditic dinosaur that you thought you could control starts to breed. Uh, so sometimes you've just got to be still. You can't control it. And that's really why total control is a bad goal. It's because of our first point, because you, you have to count on chaos, which means total control is always going to be a self-defeating goal. Uh, you have to have a bigger purpose. You have to have a bigger point to doing what you're doing. And so let's just hear from Dern, bring it on home, Dern, and then we'll get to our third success movie message that, that solves the riddle. What do we do in the face of chaos once we know that uh, total control of it is a fool's errand? But first, Dern, just, just remind us why we can't have the control that we, we so desperately want in the fear of the chaos of life. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You never had control, that's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place, but I made a mistake too. I didn't have enough respect for that power and it's out now. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. That's right. That's right, Dern. Uh, and that's right, folks, you never had control. So when you feel like you're losing control or you feel like, oh, I, I had control and it's slipping away, no. You're just realizing you're, you're having your, your loss of control or the fact that you never had control, it is being revealed to you. The fact that you were previously under an illusion is being revealed to you. And that is a good thing. It's scary, but it's really good. That, and the only way that you can take that gift that better view of reality is if you're not scared to lose control. Now, of course, I know that it's good to have things in control, to, to be a master of your craft, to, to not have unexpected things happen to you. I'm a, obviously a huge fan of agency. This is a personal development podcast. But a lot of personal development, in my opinion, boils down to how do we comport ourselves and how do we make sure that we serve our vision and our values and how do we impose the values that order our lives internally onto the world that is chaotic for the people who depend on us. Uh, whether it's our family, our customers, our clients, our friends, our communities, whatever. Uh, to be a leader in many ways is to interpret chaos for other people, to give them a story that they can live in. And part of that includes, in my opinion, having that story be an anti-fragile story that itself teaches the listener or the audience or whatever community of stakeholders you're communicating with. Uh, teaches them how to tell their own stories and, and prepares them uh, for the inevitable disappointment when they do realize if, if you do your job right as a storyteller, you give people a new way to live. Stories equip us to live. Uh, the writer Kenneth Burke said that. Stories are equipment for living. Many people have said this. Um, but they're just stories. They're, they're just more illusions. Uh, Wallace Stevens, one of my favorite poets, said, you know, uh, disillusion is the last illusion because it's just another one. That's just our human consciousness. We, we have our attention drawn to things. We're kind of like the T-Rex. We look at moving things more. It's hard to be still. And that's okay. Uh, we're here to do what we're here to do, just like the carnivorous dinosaurs. And we're here to make our peace and find that balance. 
but we can't do that with control because we're a part of life and life is a part of us. And so that really brings us to our third point, which relates to control and power and chaos in life. And it's really this, as always, you need values, folks. And so this week, our third success movie message is that power needs a higher power. And this movie does, Jurassic Park does such a good job of bringing that home by having the, the science, of course, gets out of control, but it really includes a lot of intelligent discussion more than I think you see in a lot of movies today, a lot of blockbusters today about these philosophical issues. Do you have to do something just because you can? And of course, the answer is no. If you feel like the having a power means you must exercise it, I would tell you, you are in fact powerless. You are being compelled by power. Power is using you. You are a tool of some greater force that you don't understand. Uh, in, the, in the attempt to impose and to be the imposer of order in your life, you are giving yourself over to a dark kind of chaos that you don't understand. And that's why you can't just serve power. You can't just try to amass power, even if it's a means to controlling something that you think needs control. Uh, it's more a way of managing chaos and making sure that the values shine through the chaos, that no matter how many flips, how many spirals we get into, that, that we have these anti-fragile values that can withstand and survive and even become stronger through all of these challenges. And for me, that higher power, of course, is love. And that's the message of this movie as well, if Laura Dern said it in our previous clip. But... Uh, it, it really does articulate. It doesn't have to be love. I mean, whatever you want it to be, it can be your family or your loved ones or something you care deeply about, uh, a cause you care deeply about. Whatever it is, you just something more than the, the, the maximization of power needs to be the goal. Uh, because just like control, you can never do it. And once you get on that road, you'll do anything to try to service this desperate goal because you know that on some level you're going to fail. It's an act of desperation uh, to do this because, it, in my opinion, again, it seems easier than sitting down, sitting with yourself and figuring out what you actually believe in. But power needs a higher power. Uh, otherwise, you're just reacting to your own capabilities and just just reacting to life. And again, that's no way to power. You're actually powerless. You're responding to things that happen to you. And so uh, power includes the power to abstain. It includes the power to act in forbearance. And the movie The Tree of Life does such a good job of this to, to bring it home, uh, just the second best dinosaur movie after Jurassic Park. It's by this guy, Terrence Malick. It came out in 2011. And the very beginning of the movie was very controversial. I may have actually mentioned this before. It's my, one of my favorite movies of all time. But it has this animated sequence that's like the creation of the universe. And it has a dinosaur that in the sequence steps on another dinosaur's neck. And to me, it appears to contemplate killing this weaker dinosaur, but then it takes its foot off its neck and just bounds away. So it's not like it does anything that great. It's not like it like started a charity for other dinosaurs or anything, but it didn't exercise the power it had to. And that to me is really the answer to the question posed in our last clip, clip by Jurassic Park almost 20 years later. It's almost like these films are in conversation with each other. I'm sure Terrence Malick saw Jurassic Park. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of our clip. Let's hear from it and then uh, we'll be right back and we'll, we'll bring it home. Oh. 
There's no reason. I don't know. I want to hear a reveal part. I really do. Yeah, don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. If I may. Um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, folks, I wanted to include that last clip and make sure we got to it because I just think this is such an important lesson, uh, especially nowadays. There are so many things happening, so many breakthroughs happening. But, you know, I'm about to watch that Theranos show, uh, The Dropout on Hulu about the, the Theranos blood testing scandal. And to me, it's just such a good example of, of the hubris of the notion that science is going to solve everything. And just because something is slickly presented and appears to solve a, a riddle means that it must be a good thing. And you know, a lot of powerful, important people got caught up in that. If you look at who was on the board of Theranos, it's uh, not comforting. They're, they're, a lot of them were in charge of our military, or at least one of them. Um, and you know, they were going to, or I think they were pretty deep in, in discussions and maybe in experiments in using the equipment, uh, in military operations. And that's what I'm talking about. You got to slow down. Sometimes you got to make sure you're being consistent with your values. And for me, it really is a body thing. If I feel it, if I feel I'm going on a course of action and I start not like excitement butterflies, but there's like a tingling in my chest and upper extremities, my arms that I associate with like a, an impulsive, almost anxiety, not like anxiety is beneath it. It's like a, I'm, I'm like trying to ward off the anxiety of realizing I might be making a mistake by acting too quickly uh, just because I can, because I'm realizing that I can do something versus the calmer, deeper contentment near your solar plexus or deeper in your stomach. Uh, you know, if you're into this kind of thing, closer to your, your lower chakras, maybe even your root chakra, where you really are grounded in a decision and it's close to your values, that's when you know you're doing the right thing. And, and that, to me, if you start feeling that we must act uh, because we can, look how exciting this new capability is, that's the signal to really sit. Because as cool as the velociraptors are, you know, obviously everybody gets out okay. Spoiler alert, Newman learns a lesson. So hopefully, you know, uh, just like Hova, Newman went through that. So hopefully y'all don't have to go through that. Don't be greedy, trying to smuggle the embryos. That's what I'm talking about. Don't rush into things just because you can. Don't look for the quick payoff or the quick payday. Make sure that you're being consistent with your values. It will pay off every single time. I promise you that. And I think that's a perfect note to leave you with. So, folks, thanks for listening this week. Next week, uh, we've got a mystery movie, but it's going to be very, very exciting. I, it, I have to think everyone listening to this will like it. But if not, let us know as always. We're happy to hear from you. Thanks for stopping by this week. We'll see you next week, or we'll 
Talk to you next week. Hopefully hear from you as well on Success Movie Rewind. Thank you. Goodbye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.